This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to the Hot Four podcast. I wanted to put today's episode in context for you. Uh, when I first came up with the idea for my brewery, Emmanuel's, I was working for a large church. Now, don't get me started on that. That's a whole other episode in and of itself. Um, but to cut a long story short, I left the mega church to start a microbrewery, as you do. Um, my business mentor, lovely chap, um, knowing my background and ability to build brands, suggested that somebody else brew the beer for me, and I essentially build the Emmanuel's brand. Um, uh, at the time, I was pretty outraged at that suggestion, and I insisted, no, I'm going to run the business, and I'm going to develop the brand, and I'm going to brew the beers, and and the, the ring was entrusted to me. It's, it's my, my task. task. Mine. My own. All right, dude whatever is effectively what he said um so fast forward several years of mashing in developing two beer brands and a brewery simultaneously and establishing a bar and well i was pretty worn out and i think i'd realized um that emmanuel's was the thing i wanted to do and that in order to pursue that, I had to leave the brewery I was part of. Um, but my business mentor's words never really went away. And I explored the contract brewing. I spoke to people. I did the cost analysis. I phoned around various breweries. I'd phone suppliers and ask if they'd stock it and so on and so forth, which was a full-time job in and of itself. Um, until a friend of mine called Chaba Babak, who wrote a really great book called Beer Means Business, which kind of inspired this podcast, actually, um, suggested I look into something called Brew Broker. Now, for the studious among you, um, as some of you will have heard, we've been sponsored by this relatively new company, Brew Broker, over the last few episodes. Um, as a disclaimer, today's episode was recorded before that sponsorship was agreed, so please listen to it in the spirit in which it was recorded It was kind of like a message to people who are like me from several years ago. Um, Because actually, I wish I'd have known a lot more about contracting and certainly wish I'd have known about Brew Broker when I was researching it. As a brewer, I think the purist within you wants to don up your sleeves and slap on those industrial marigolds, Marv, you know the ones, and take that mash paddle and do it yourself. Um, But you'd be surprised at the amount of breweries who don't have bricks and mortar for themselves or the larger craft breweries who don't have the capacity to brew their flagship beers so they have someone else brew them to specification on a larger kit. So with that said, I turned Queen up in my car. That's not the Queen, that's, you know, Queen. Radio Gaga and all that on a hot June day uh, to meet up with Daniel from Brew Broker to talk about contract brewing and what their company is doing to help the beer industry grow. Radio Gaga, isn't that just like one of the greatest songs ever? I mean, come on. Maybe you're like, give me greatest hits one. Come on, don't stop me now. Um, focus, focus. Where was I? Yeah. 
So yeah, I went to Birmingham to meet Daniel Roundtree from Brew Broker. Uh, Daniel's been in the beer industry for a long time. He helped launch Big Hook Brewing, which are a contract brewery based in London. And he set up the Craft Beer Rising Festival, which I'm sure we're all pretty okay with. It's safe to say that Daniel has a good handle on what's going on in the industry. So a huge shout out to Daniel and a massive thank you for him for squeezing us into his busy schedule and for Brew Broker for sponsoring the Hot Forward podcast these last few weeks. Um, you know the drill. Follow us on social media at Hot Four Beers. Subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify and visit hotforward.beer and find out how we can help you uh, develop your branding, help run marketing and promotions for your beer business and offer brewery consultancy and business development for your beer-related venture. And now, on to today's show with Daniel Roundtree from Brewbreaker. Okay, John, it's time at the bar. So today on the Hot Four Podcast, I'm joined by Dan from Brew Broker. How's it going? Yeah, I'm good, thank you very much. Yeah. Good. So we're in your fabulous office in a custard factory. Yeah, an actual old custard factory. Um, birds. Yeah. Custard was made here. Alfie Birds. And for those that might remember, there was a, there was a club called Alfie Birds and the medicine bar was where a lot of people whiled away their use, I think, right. in, in a club un- underneath where we are now. Oh, nice, okay. Yeah. It's a fabulous building. I mean, the, the view is fantastic. Although, I'm, I'm self-confessed, I'm not the biggest Birmingham fan. <laughs> Maybe it's the ring road I don't like, so. Well, do you know what? I've been here three years and I'm not the biggest fan either, but it is not a bad view. And there's a couple of landmarks, as you can see. Yeah. Selfridges, and you can see the, old, the, the new H, HS2 line is going to come down over there. Oh, is that, there what that, is that what that is there? No, it's just, just over uh, there. Oh, so right, you can okay. see, it, see it. So right. you, know, you can see you've got Moore Street, New Street, and then the HS2 line. So. Wow, there you go. Yeah. So, Brew Broker, um, what is it? I mean, I, I contacted you several years ago um, when I first found out about it because I was looking to contract brew my brand. and. Uh, found Brew Broker, so um, which is why I was keen to come down here today and chat yeah. to you because I think it's really innovative what you're doing. But um, just just what is it and what benefit does it offer the beer market? Right. So Brew Broker, put simply, is a global marketplace for the brewing industry. Now it started off um, trying to monetize the excess capacity that exists in our industry. You know, our mission is is to be um, to create a more sustainable brewing industry. And I think as we've we've evolved, we've realised that we can be and will be a lot more for the brewing industry. So initially we started off trying to monetize contract brewing. So really giving the opportunity for people that had capacity to connect directly with people that wanted to brew. Um, and then as we evolved, we realised that, you know, there was a marketplace for equipment, um, sundries, um, you know, retailers wanting to brew their own beer directly with brewers. And once you've got all the retailers and the brewers on the system, why wouldn't you connect them together to mm. do tendering? So um, it's a broad definition, but a global marketplace for the brewing industry about is what Brewbroker does. Amazing. Yeah. So why, why did you decide to start it? So I've been in, in, I guess, in the alcohol industry my whole career. Um, luckily, I genuinely believe there's no better industry out there. Um, and we set up 
craft beer rising in 2013 um, and at that point there were 21 breweries in in London now I think there's close to 200 mm. it's it's crazy um, so we were in we were in that kind of bubble I think it was probably year two or year three we thought well why don't we why don't we set up our own brand um, and we spoke to a, a, an accountant that we were that was actually Brewdog's accountant in the early days and had also worked with Innes and Gun um, uh, guy called Adam Hardy, JCCA. If you haven't interviewed him on your podcast, you should because he's great. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, so he, I just started chatting to him about the plans. He was like, "Okay, so you've got a couple of marketeers and a brewer. Which one of you set up a brewery before?" I'm like, no, "None of us." So, okay. So he's like, "Why don't you use the Innocent Gun model? Why don't you contract brew?" Um, and we, that's exactly what we did. Um, we started. Big Hug Brewing, which is a contract brew business um, and still exists today, I'm sort of four or five years old. Um, and we started to to contract everything out, mm. you know, other than the brand and the um, the kind of sales um, and marketing aspect of it, we contracted everything. Um, and we just found it to be an absolute nightmare. You know, the information you would get back from brewers, um, the, the kind of the quality of the quotes that you would get back, the interaction with the brewer along the process, um, quality of the, the end product, um, and and just that the whole kind of process is 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 old school. Um, in in an industry which, especially in the UK, has a huge dichotomy. You've got obviously half of the industry which is going bananas, really young, mm. um, focused on growth and a certain style of beer, and then you've got the other half of the industry which has been around for a while, family brewers. You know, and ultimately, my view is that you know the ethos of craft and ethos of cask is very similar, but bringing them all together, it was it was a very chaotic marketplace, um, and this is what we found. Um, and you know, ultimately, we wanted to create a better user experience. And marketplaces exist, or successful marketplaces exist, and are successful um, if the user journey that you create is vastly more improved than the one that already exists. Yeah, um, which is what we found. Yeah. Um, so I remember talking to Matthew from Big Hug actually um, when I was seeking out contract brewers. Um, so I spoke to Stu from Easterwoods. I spoke to Matthew. I remember saying to him, "Oh, you know, um, give me some advice. Talk me through it." He was, he was on a train to Cardiff, I think, and he was just like, "Don't do it, mate." <laughs> I was just like, "I'm on a bloody train to Cardiff. Like, <laughs> this is it's so hard." Um, just for anyone out there who's thinking of contract brewing. Mm -hmm. um, because, like, you look at the beer market, and as you sort of alluded to earlier, with, with um, younger drinkers, they all want something new all the time. In some ways, contributing lends itself um, to having bought volumes of the same thing you churn out again and again. Like, is is that the case, or um, you know, is is it is it sort of changed the model in terms of like, are there brewers who can do smaller runs of things and just smash out those new beers? Um, I mean, look, I mean, you know, it's, there's lots of different buyers out there and, and we, we call them cohorts um, just from a tech perspective, but just different types of buyers. And I think on the board now, 308 buyers and 111 of those are what I call new brewers mm. and brands. So, you know, people that are, I think have an idea or, or they've been um, home brewing for a time and they think that they want to go into commercial Brewing, um, you know, those those guys are totally different requirements to some of our kind of our enterprise users. 
So we've got very established breweries that have no interest on going too far over their duty threshold and need mm. to find long-term partnerships to brew certain styles of beer. Um, and also then you've got totally um, total contract brew businesses like Big Hug, um, like Forest Road, that at the moment all of their beer is, is, is outsourced yep. and, and they need someone to closely manage all of their relationships. So you've got, so, this, so the system, um, initially we set it up I guess a year ago now, probably just less than a year, probably to deal with more one-off trades. Mm. But as we've gone through the, um, the process of development, we found that 20% of the brewers or the buyers are using us 80% of the time. And those guys are the repeat customers. Yes. And actually the, the initial kind of finding a brewer and matching their requirements um, to brew capacity is only the start of the journey. And what we're starting to do now is build out a more of an account management process. And you were in here earlier and you met two of, two of our, uh, our brew brokers. And what we found is that quite a lot of the process we still have to manage manually. Yep. So I'd say that 60% of the, the, the kind of broking is done in the system. I probably said 40% of it is done outside the system. Yep. Um, while we work out what we're gonna scale up and how we're gonna scale it and how we're gonna put that into the system. Um, so in answer to your question in a long convoluted way, you know, we're answering every single type of brief. Right. Um, you know, from 500 litres of a CBD beer to can I do 10,000 hectolitres um, next year of my standard lager. Yeah. You know, so it really is ev every end right. of the scale. Um, and what we ask, what, what it has been for me is, is, a, is a good window of, of what people are thinking. So people are putting kind of quite speculative briefs out there. We've had protein beers, we've had amino acid beers, we've had and BCCA beers, say so CBDs, probably been about four or five kind of tenders that have gone on there. So I think people are um, taking this kind of functional beer, um, low ABV, um, and then adding another kind of health benefit on top. Yeah. <laughs> Seems to be where people are going, or yeah. certainly some of the MPDs going anyway. Mm. So let's say there's a person out there listening to this who wants to start their own beer brand or a brewery. Maybe they're brewing from home. Um, and that, that that's their dream, but they haven't got the finances to start a commercial brewery because, as we both know, it's a very expensive industry to get into to buy all that kit. Um, how would brew broker benefit someone like that? Right now, version one would be able to help those those kind of uh, I guess individuals, groups of individuals, or home brewers by helping them find the right partners. Mm. So we would be able to take you know a, a brief from them. Um, and we'll be able to put that out to the network and give them the ability to uh, speak directly to brewers about fulfilling um, their dream. Mm. Um, and as I was saying earlier, we've got lots of different types of um, the buyers. Um, I'd say a good third of them are this kind of category. Um, and I think going forward, what the system will do will allow um, those people to come on and benchmark before setting up a tender exactly what the prices of the beer would be um, and then what we're finding at the moment is that there's a lot of help that we can provide outside of the system um, so for example we're working with a company at the moment called Shandy Shack um, and we're helping them in the wider kind of consultancy perspective helping them not only finding brewing partners but giving them some advice on how they might uh, approach certain things in the marketplace um, relationships with wholesalers you know, sales strategies, marketing plans, setting up their vision, you know, giving them the best possible opportunity to, to succeed. 
And a step further than that, we, we're actually developing a, a programme called the, the Brew Broker Bootcamp, where we'll be giving prospective brand owners, um, I guess, some home truths o- over the course of, uh, of a day. And it'll be a fully free service, but um, give people a, a kind of, um, I guess, under the bonnet look at what, you know, what it's like to get out there and, and pound the streets from a sales perspective, you know, some tips on marketing, how you might get into events, um, and then the different kind of strands of sales, whether that be convenience or whether that be um, wholesale or whether that be um, retail and the different facets of the on-trade. And so if they still, after um, going through that process, want to set up a tender, then we're the place where they can do that, Mm. for sure. Yeah. So what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of contract brewing? Well, some of the big, big advantages if you don't have to set up a bricks and mortar brewery. Um, you, uh, you, you will be able to contract brew and then sell that beer and, and sense check that beer. It's almost like an MVP style brewing process where you, where you can brew, brew some beer, test it, sell it, tweak it and go again. Mm. Um, you know, without having the overheads of setting up a brewery. Um, you know, and it's, it's a very cost effective way, way of doing it. Obviously you sacrifice some margin but you don't have the ongoing um, fixed costs, um, you know, and it's it's a very uh, a very kind of easy way for you to test test your product. And obviously, there's there are other um, instances other than setting up a brand where this also could be beneficial. Whether you're hitting your duty threshold or you're looking to scale up your brewery um, and you don't quite know how big you want to go with your brewery, you can contract brew in and around your threshold until you get the funds or you've proved the business is, is buoyant enough to warrant the extra capex mm. and then you go into it. So there's lots of different reasons why contract brewing is more beneficial than setting up your own brewery. Um, obviously there's that kind of stigma with contract brewing that no one can, no one can avoid is, is, you know, people want to know who's brewed it, the heritage, the history, um, the the, the plant and they want to know that, that you, you've touched the process of brewing that beer. Yeah. Now sometimes, you know, I often say to people is that, I, I, you know, it, the brewing beer is, is really difficult, you know, brewing consistent beer is mm. even more difficult. So sometimes going to someone that has a track record of brewing consistent beer is the best thing for your brand. Yeah. Um, so that's one, one huge benefit. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not for everyone, um, but I do think the stigma is, is lifting. You know, there's the kind of stalwarts of, of uh, kind of contract brewing, the Michellers and the evil twins of this world um, that have kind of blazed a trail and, re- and shown people that if it's done correctly, you know, it doesn't damage your brand. Mm. You know, we've got some great examples of, uh, of contract brewing brands in, in this country and, and in other, other, um, other global markets, but um, I, I, I don't believe there is a brewery out there that hasn't, is, or will in the future contract brew at some yeah. point. That's just a fact. Yeah. Um, and we just want to make that system, um, that process, a lot easier for the whole marketplace. Mm. Do you think, with the, coming back to the stigma, do you think that's to do with transparency? I mean, because I, I uh, was on Instagram earlier and um, saw an American friend who's, uh, she's in Barcelona, and she had a, a glass of San Miguel, and she said, I had no idea that this was brewed in the UK. 
And I was like, and I, and I said, well, you know, all these are, and listed off the brands like, you know, Sharps of Cornwall, quote unquote, brewed in Burton-on-Trent and listed off all these different brands that are brewed in the UK or, or around parts of the UK where they say they come from others. And obviously I think that raises some suspicions for some people, but do, do you think with, because you take someone like Yeasty Boys, for example, everyone knows that brew dog made their beer and then they've, they've kind of gone around and no, no one's all like, I can't believe Yeasty Boys don't make their own beer. Um, do, you, do you think it's just about being transparent with people? That's definitely a start. I mean, we, we did exactly the same um, kind of exercise for our investors in the last round where I just literally pulled off beer um, on, on my way into the investor meeting from a local uh, Tesco. Pretty much every single beer that I could pull off, I could give an anecdote or a story about where it's been brewed now or in the past that proves that contract brewing is, is pretty much rife. Everyone does it. You know, obviously you've got um, yeah, Stella and Budweiser have been brewed up in up in Well Park in Glasgow. Mm. Um, you know, have got Estrella been been brewed at Marsden's. You know, yep. it's it's you know, Brewdog, even though they probably won't want to say it, used to brew their lager down in meantime. You know, it's it's it happens. Yeah, it, it, it has to, it happens all over the world. And what we're doing is is when that um, kind of need happens. People can go out there anonymously if they want to. We've we've been uh, doing anonymous tenders out there, um, and obviously when they get through to the last stage and you shortlist them, they don't become anonymous. But allows you to go and benchmark a price because mm. one of the things that we um, we found at Big Hug is that you know the, the swings in price are huge and they still are now. You know everyone carries a different overhead and a cost base, yep. um, and you know it allows you to to compare apples for apples and understand you know, what you're paying for. Um, and that's one of the big benefits for the buyer is that, and especially when you get into the larger volumes, you're really seeing where, where, where the value is. And mm. some people um, really want to win the contract, so they go in, you know, very competitive. Um, and, it, and it doesn't mean that they're getting a bad product. It's just, it's just they've decided that that's what they, how they're going to pitch their, their contract brew element of their yep. business. So you can get some significant cost savings by putting it through a tender process. Mm. So what advantage is there to existing suppliers like breweries to start contract brewing? And for anyone who's listening to this who might be thinking, we've got spare capacity, maybe we should do that. I mean, uh, what consideration should they make when making some of that capacity available? Yeah, I mean, look, there are definitely, definitely good contract brew businesses and ones that um, aren't so good. So there is, there is a kind of process of getting yourself ready to be a contract brewer. I mean, it makes total sense if you've got 20, 30, 40% capacity to try and fill that some way. But I'd be really kind of clear with the kind of contracts you want. What do you want to do, what you don't want to do, mm. and be really kind of specific about it. Um, it might be that you might want to just do white label. So on our system, we differentiate between contract brewing and white label. And white label being is when we buy your beer and stick a label on it, basically. And contract brewing is, I'll give you a recipe to brew. Can you brew it to my specification? Mm. So just being really kind of explicit about what you want and what you don't want to do. Also, there's, there is a legal um, kind of uh, consideration as well. You know, there is, we, we will help you put a contract in place. We will manage payments, um, but you need to be really clear about what payments you need and when. Yep. We can advise you on that. Um, also, you know, kind of quality of beer um, and how, how you make sure that you're, you're going to provide the the service and give the beer to the buyer that they expect. So there's a, again, we have a, a set process that we go through and we can recommend that you go through in order to, to make sure that your beer is the quality that you expect. 
And then also just be mindful of the fact, you know, that they are your customers. So um, if you confirm a slot with them, they'll expect it to be on that mm. slot. You know, and um, you know, you again, you need to really ask yourself whether you're um, ready to accept that kind of relationship, because they'll have the same um, uh, kind of deadlines with suppliers, with wholesalers, with retailers that you guys have. Um, and if you schedule a brew, then you make, need to make sure that you can deliver on that. Yep. So let's say a situation arises where somebody's had their beer contract brewed with a brewery, but for whatever reason it wasn't to spec or it didn't turn out how they envisioned, like what then, how, how can the supplier, i.e. the brewer, um, sort of protect themselves and how can the buyer protect themselves in that arrangement to stop things from going sour? Obviously, unless they're making a sour beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what? It's, it's, it, has, it has happened, um, and um, and what what we can do is 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 we is basically we highlight a process. As I was saying earlier, that that if you if you subscribe to, things shouldn't go wrong. Um, now, you know that goes right back to having you know your your lab tests done at the beginning. Um, making sure that you're, you're scaling up the recipe, making sure you have a test brew, making sure you're comfortable with that, mm. um, making sure, sure you do your, your temperature tests and your checks all the way through the process, um, and making sure that the you know the, the same tests are done through the through the packaging process that, that you agree to. Both brewers they have to sign off at each each stage of the process, and really as long as that that kind of um, method has been adhered to, things shouldn't theoretically go wrong. Now, some things are unavoidable and things happen, have happened over carbonation, for example, is, is an instance that, um, that's happened previously. And more often than not, we found that because it's a you know, human interaction between two professionals, someone at some point will go, ah, okay, that was the problem. And yeah, you're right, that was, that was my fault. Um, and um, every instance that we found um, that where it has been a potential problem, has been rectified by the person that, mm. that was, was to blame. Um, because more, more often than not, you know, they're, they're slightly embarrassed that they, you know, it, was, it was their fault. Um, but you know, we do have a, a checklist, a process, you know, like, a, like a contact report in many ways that we can refer back to. And as long as those things have been adhered to along the process, um, we can vouch for that. Yeah. And also is a, there's a legal framework that we put in place yeah. um, that protects it as well. So for new entrants to the market then, and perhaps those are a little bit more wet behind the ears, what, what advice would you give to them starting out selling beer, um, you know, particular market that's so heavily saturated with new beers? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I'd, I, we, we chatted about this off, off, um, off air, I guess, um, and it, it is about understanding the why. Why, why are you doing it? And, um, you know, and, and what are you going to do that's, that's going to be different? And if you haven't got aspirations to change the world, then I just understand how big your business can be. Um, you know, I think understanding your, your market is, is first and foremost, you know, understanding the, the scale and, and the complexity of, of getting uh, your beer into the on and off trade in obviously very different, um, different markets. You know, essentially I think people assume a lot. Um, so understanding who you're gonna sell it to and understand why you're doing it in the mm. first place. Yeah. Yeah, so just on that, what sort of considerations then should buyers using a service like Brew Broker make when considering things like core ranges or packaging formats, um, storage and distribution, other than like who they're selling it to? Um, you know, because 
I think again, if you if you're new to it and you you're really passionate, you're like, oh, I just want to get my brand and my beer out there. You know, you're thinking, okay, cans, cans, and so on and so forth, and you can just sort of be like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Like what what sort of what advice would you give to somebody like that who's thinking, right, how am I going to deal with that aspect and and the storage and so on and so forth? Well, I mean, look, ultimately, you can, we will give you a, a, a kind of a link to all of the different suppliers or the different people you would need through the system. However, you know, before, before you even think about producing the beer, you need, to, you, know, you need to think about the consumer. So, you know, I would do some rigorous testing, you know, even if it's around names, if it's around pack formats, if it's around um, styles at least. And then at that point, you would, you would then get some beer produced, you know, and do it on, at the, again, minimal viable product making sure that what you do it you can get as little as done to test the most so you know i often say to people there's no point in getting less than a thousand liters done really because you need to be able to sell that through yeah and it and you know my my gut is that the most um user-friendly way of doing that is to get cans or bottles um and then obviously you can give out samples you can give some away for free um and I think that's important at, at, at that kind of early stage is that you, you actually give a lot out. You know, mm. you're sampling, it's liquid on lips, it's people trialing yep. your product, um, and giving you direct feedback. And at that point, then you tweak and then you scale up. Um, and it's at that point that you, and especially if you haven't, aren't already in the industry and you can't already guarantee an on-trade listing into keg, you're then using those samples to take round to bars, to events, to you know, shops, etc. To sample, if you've just done it into kegs, it's very difficult to yeah. distribute samples. So that would be my initial advice. If, and we can, you can split a run. You could do 500 liters into uh, into keg and 500 into can. But again, the smaller the runs, the, the less inclined the the brewer is to be flexible. Yeah, I guess as well for people looking to enter the market in that way, they by this point you you throw more of your lot in rather than just being at home. Because I do still meet home brewers that are doing it commercially or want to do it commercially but by this point you've got to start thinking about your storage where you're going to put all those cans you have to rent some and then that brings an overhead in you've got to work out um, all the margins because the, the margins can be quite tight with contract brewing ridiculous yeah i mean and and also i think when people see what you know a pint of beer is sold for i think i don't, don't think any anyone really understands how much of that is duty yeah and then obviously then you've got the wholesaler takes their margin unless you're delivering it direct. But if you're delivering it direct, then you've got the cost of a van yeah. and porterage. Now, if you're paying straight porterage, that's one thing. But if you've got a whole van and a person delivering your beer, you have to have that person and that van full and busy all day to make mm. it work. And then when you're building your cost structure, you need to make sure there's a line in there for, for transport and a line in there for storage. And if you haven't got that maximized, then that, that, that number can get very big very quickly. Yeah. Then all of a sudden your margin is, is, is very, very small. Mm. And yes, contract brewing provides a smaller margin, but you can build that back in if you're clever with your suppliers. Yeah. That ties back into what you were saying about boot camp um, to, to give some hard truths to people, because I don't think people have those cold hard truths, because you, you don't know what you don't know. You know, Absolutely. and you can just wade, wade into it um, and hope, hoping for the best, and then find that you're in over your head very quickly. I mean, I think in, in a in the short term view, what we're doing with the boot camp is putting a few people off. But I think long term, those people are going to thank us. And actually, what it's about is creating that emotional bond with those people right at the beginning of their journey, and they stick with Brewbroker right through their their you know their product and brand 
life cycle. Mm. You know, we become intrinsic to their business right from day one. And the ones that really didn't understand what they were getting into, they fall away at that point, and that's okay. Yeah. That's better for the industry. You've got to remember our mission is to create a more sustainable brewing industry. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you see the beer industry heading over the next five years then? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure we can continue at the same ridiculous growth rate that we've had over the last five years. So I, I do believe that will slow. Um, I think the, new, the amount of new breweries coming into the market will be reduced, but potentially the amount of new brands that come into the market will increase. Mm. So I, I do think we'll see um, contract brewing uh, being utilised more, um, just because of the, the, the risk attached to it. I think um, in terms of acquisitions, I think my personal view is that a lot of the big guys have had their one or two in the UK, and I, I don't think there's going to be loads more. I think there's a couple of, of breweries that are ripe for it. Either they've missed out or they're, or they're just holding fire. Um, I think there's, you know, the movement of beer um, you know, around the world will increase as, you know, a lot of the kind of breweries that have had investment because the Camdens and the Magic Rocks and, and you know, and the Four Pures of this world have had significant investment as part of their, you know, their, their kind of acquisition strategy. Mm. So they're going to need to export their beer. They're going to need to move it all around the world and, you know, in order to, to kind of fill their capacity. Um, so I think, you know, we're going to see a lot more American beers, see a lot more European beers and a lot of our, more of our beers will be exported. I do think there's going to be a lot more closures. I think a lot of people have um, kind of you know, borrowed money or, or acquired money from, from Crowdcube um, on huge kind of growth um, strategies, double digit, double, you know, doubling um, percentage, which is just un, unachievable yeah. uh, in the market. Um, so unfortunately, I think some, some breweries will be casualties. We've seen a couple recently, and I think there'll be some more, you know, Make no bones about it, making money from brewing beer is really, really difficult. <laughs> um, yeah, um, so I, I think, you know, I think it's, you know, it, I think that that will become abundantly clear. Uh, and I think, um, but on a real positive note, I think that more consumers are going to drink more craft, interesting, well beer, whatever you call it. I think that trend is going to continue and that is going to fuel innovation. Mm. Uh, and wherever that comes from, um, I'm not really sure, but you know, ultimately, Brewbroker now, I believe, will fulfil a very um, important part of that that mission to be uh, to create a more sustainable brewing industry. Amazing, brilliant. Well, Dan, thank you for joining us today. So, uh, just how can people get plugged into Brewbroker? Yeah, we're www.brewbroker.com. Um, if you if you want to set up as a, a buyer or a supplier, or just sign up to our newsletter. Rian, our uh, digital marketing manager, does an amazing newsletter every Friday called The Mashup, and it's just general kind of beer stuff. Obviously, we do do some stuff that's focused towards what we're doing, but ultimately, it's, uh, it's just a good read. Amazing. Brill, thank you very much. All right, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hey,